if you're a young agent that's getting into the industry, don't chase the social media fame. Chase becoming an expert in the deal. And as you're doing that, try and capture the growth in your own success and share that and create your story. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. With thanks to our partner Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking and strategies to elevate your results. To get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast, visit joineliteagent.com. And for more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier on your clients, visit connectnow.com.au. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. All polished matter of fact are all words that have been used to describe today's guest on the Elevate podcast. He's one of Melbourne's premier agents who has built an outstanding reputation over 14 years for working smarter, challenging the status quo and pushing the boundaries of opportunity. He started his own agency, built a social media following in the tens of thousands, auctioned winning properties on the block, and transacted more than a billion in real estate. So, Marty Fox, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Samantha. Really appreciate it. It's great to have you with us. We've been meaning to have you on for a while, and finally the stars have aligned. I like to ask this question of agents we have on the podcast as a way of checking on the market, because sometimes... What's happening on the streets isn't what's happening in the Main Street news. So how is the market down in Melbourne right now? And what are you and your agents seeing in the trenches? So with the market, numbers are definitely down. Um, at this time last year, we were carrying around 125 listings between the group. We're probably sitting just under sort of 95, so slightly down. Different divisions are performing differently from last year. Last year, our condition the division was running really hot with people buying secondary homes and having that tree and sea change. And this year now the apartments market is performing really well, sub a million dollars. The downsizing market is still really strong. The five million plus bracket is still really strong. So within White Fox, the different verticals are performing differently. But overall, the consensus is that it is much lower than what it was last year. And it's also the confidence that people have come into the year with. Like Everyone's extremely cautious. It's hard for them to get money, as we all know, and it's a different environment. It's the agents that have the long relationships and the big, you know, databases that they've kept in touch with. They're the ones that are seeing themselves performing well, and some of those newer agents of, you know, two, three, four years in the game are finding it a little bit harder because they don't have that repeat customer base. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. So let me take you back to the start of your career. I think it was about 14 years ago, if my research is correct. I know your dad's in the business. So did you always want to get into real estate? So it wasn't my father. He's a hairdresser by trade and a very good one of that. Right. doesn't cut my hair though. I'll point that out. So when I finished university over in New Zealand, I actually moved back to Melbourne and my girlfriend's father at the time was a very prominent real estate agent. And he's the one that opened the doors and got me into the business at 21. And what was amazing about that environment was that he had one of the busiest offices in the district. So I was exposed very early on to extremely high performers. And it was a business that was being run by the old school. These were the leaders of the industry, you know, back in the 80s and 90s. And they were hardcore real estate agents. You know, they were pounding the pavement day in, day out. And through being amazing real estate agents, they actually became business owners. 
and they grew the business to 52 offices and then sold their business to Century 21. So it was the first major acquisition of a privately owned group at the time that was franchised that was then rebranded to a bigger global brand. And, yeah, it was really hard. In that first year, I was the cadet of the office running around doing absolutely everything. I didn't question what I was asked to do. I just did it. And, yeah, I think that was one of the best training grounds I could have ever asked for. Melbourne's a particularly hard market to break into, I think, because of what you just said, the the legend of the, I'm not going to say old boys club, but, you know, like it is very tightly held and Melbourne's got some of the most amazing boutique brands there. How hard was it going up against some of those those guys? Well, particularly with me launching White Fox in 2017 as a new brand, you know, we had the stable luxury brands that were 60, 100, 80 years old. You had Cain Burton, Marshall White, Jalice Craig, R.T. Edgar, you know, and for me it was like, okay, we're going to challenge what they're doing in that space. And I feel that They've been around for so long, they've been so consistent, and it's been really hard for franchise groups to really do well in the Melbourne marketplace. And I think that comes back to the mindset of the population here. So there's more auctions held, there's more property sold by public auction in Melbourne than any other city in the world. So that means that most people think that they're like real estate experts. Everyone knows everything about property here. So you're dealing with a very educated consumer in Melbourne, and that consumer, for some reason, just doesn't necessarily buy into that franchise model in the luxury space here. And that's also where I saw an opportunity to offer something different in the marketplace here. Yeah, interesting. Look, I mean, making it even harder, I think, if your LinkedIn profile is accurate, the timeline, you might have started in the industry about the same time Ryan Serhan did around the GFC. How did that make your first couple of years as an agent? Did you sail through or were there tough bits? So my journey was a little bit different because I started just after the GFC and the first homeowner's grant was then brought into the marketplace and I was selling apartments predominantly. So I would do an open for inspection and see lines and lines of people. We'd have 50, 60 groups per inspection and I was always taught fortune is in the follow-up. If you're not following up these buyers, then somebody else is. And for me, I was finishing opens, going back to the office, and I was getting really bogged down. And by the time I'd be able to catch up with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife and mother of our three children, I didn't have work-life balance. So back then I thought, well, I need a solution. There wasn't one in the marketplace from a technological perspective. So the iPad had come out. I did some research. I looked at there was the ability to build these apps, and that's when I invented my first business, which was TouchBase, which was a follow-up inspection tool on the iPad, which would automatically send text messages and emails off my phone from the iPad. And after about six months, I ended up selling that software to the REIB. So I actually was only an agent for six months, extremely well, sold my software, and then I started working alongside the CEO of the REIB, Enzo Raimondo at the time. And for two years, I coached agents on how to use this technology to fast-track their performance in the market. So yeah, I came in, loved it, got out, missed it. And then once I finished that tenure at the REIB, that's then when I came back into real estate at around 24. And I said to Graham, look, I'm coming back, but I'd like my own office. I've spent a year and a half to two years researching the best brands in the country. 
and what makes them tick and, and I want to do it a particular way under your brand but I want my own office and I started day dot with an EA, a buyer's agent and another staff member. So I had a team of four and off I went. And so how did you get from there to White Fox? So after I sold the software, that gave my family a bit of capital. It was the first sort of cash injection that I had as an adult. And my wife and I put that money into flipping property. So we bought a couple of houses, did them up, sold them and saw the rewards in that process, particularly being in real estate and knowing where the growth sections were, all in a city. Then when I left Touchbase to go back into the game, I knew that I had a lot to learn. And it was you know, maturing in life, maturing in relationships, maturing in business, and more importantly, maturing in management. You know, understanding how to structure a week, how to lead a team. That's where I learned, you know, inspect what you expect from people and just making sure that the ability to have a big bandwidth to watch multiple things while still doing my own thing was at a high level. And it probably took me, you know, two or three years to refine that to a point where if I was to start my own business, it wouldn't just crumble. It's like going to the gym. You build yourself up to a particular level of capacity so that you don't get injured. I didn't want to get injured in business to the point where I couldn't recover. So for me, it was train myself to a point, get the systems in place to a point where I could then leave my father-in-law and leave that partnership to start my own, which was always a dream to build a brand. And then that happened at 29. That's a really good analogy, actually, the gym analogy. I'm just thinking that, you know, you don't walk into a gym day one and deadlift 100 kilos, which is kind of what it would be like. And the thing is, yeah, you might be able to, but if you then do it again and again, the chances are you will pull a muscle. And I think when you start a business, it's mitigating those risks and those problems. And every business will have them, but they should just be spot fires, right? Because spot fires can be put out, massive bushfires end up destroying what you have. Yeah. So take me through a bit of the evolution of White Fox. You guys do things differently. Explain your point of difference in the market in Melbourne as it yeah. is today. Well, I think very early on, we had a very, very clear point of difference. At the time, the competitors weren't doing very, very good social media, if any, whatsoever. There was a lack of personality and tonality within their brand, so no real distinct tone of voice, no trademarking behind that tone of voice whatsoever. The video content was not engaging. It was non-presented by the agent. And there were some little nuances that we did with the marketing that ensured that that listing stood out, which we've still carried through today, which is part of our brand, which is the first photo being black and white. So what we looked at was, okay, they're the things that are marketing and distinct from tone of voice and digital perspective, but then how do we carry that through into the physical? So making sure that the boards looked different, how we dress, we dropped suit and ties, and we're still operating in that luxury space, but we were mirroring the customer more. We were wanting to really walk into these meetings and then make them feel a little bit more at ease. So White Fox, it was about being bold, polished, and matter-of-fact, and that went across all of the decisions that we made from hiring to marketing ideas and to taking the listings to the market. What was also interesting with us was that we made a decision to only list properties of a certain level as a new agency. So it brought our average sale price up for that first year to up over $3 million. And that's what really got people talking. We got some high-profile listings 
we sold them well and we marketed them beautifully and we were very loud on social media when it was a faux pas and that's what helped build that momentum. Then within a year and a half, I opened the second office, which was in Hawksburn in Stonington, which then gave me the ability to hire more people. And from there, it just started evolving to the point where last year I stopped listing and selling. So this is now my 12-month anniversary of not actively listing and selling and building up others in the team and training them to the point where they're listing and selling to the White Fox way, which is a great feeling. I miss what I did, but the business was unscalable with me being that person at the front and centre of every key listing. Yeah. If I rewind a little bit, you said something that I reckon would terrify a lot of people, but I admire you for taking a stand on it, is that idea of only taking properties above a certain level. Did that mean that you actually said no to listings when you were just starting up? Yeah, it was really hard. And let's not forget that before I started White Fox, my average sale price would have been about 700000 I was working in Balaclava, which is next to St Kilda, and it was high turnover, apartments, and my idea was to create a brand that attracted a clientele that liked nice things. They liked watches, they liked cars, they liked finance, they liked property, and aesthetically, they needed to be pleased with who and what they were dealing with. So... When these people would say, oh, or past clients would say, can you please sell my apartment in Howard? It's, you know, seven or 800,000. To say no to that as a new business was extremely difficult. And we said no for two years. But what that ended up doing was it built this high average sale price. And then in 2019, once White Fox as a brand was established, we then created a new division with slightly different marketing, which is called White Fox Apartments. And that is now run by Mike DiCasio, who's our director down in White Fox Hawksburn. And he is the lead and looks after the team that represents those apartments. Yeah, so that's interesting. So it's like niche branding for different parts of the market. Correct. And I guess, you know, as a marketer myself, that would make your marketing a whole lot more easy because you're speaking to a specific group in each different sense. Correct. And look, we became quite revered for the way in which we market. You know, a lot of our homeowners at that $3 million plus price bracket were people that owned their own businesses and they'd say, oh, we love your time, we love the video, we love the language, we love the social media. Who did it? And it was actually us that did it ourselves to the point where we were getting so much inquiry that my business partner, In our marketing business, White Fox Marketing, we formed that company in 2019 and started servicing a lot of our real estate clients to the point where we were looking after Boost Juice, we were looking after a huge array of clientele, T2, so much bigger brands, but then other real estate agencies. So, you know, we did the branding for Gavin Rubenstein's TRG, Hive down in Canberra. So a lot of thought leaders within real estate, we were also helping them elevate their brand. So an amazing business to get off the ground in conjunction with real estate. And for three years there, it was running both the marketing agency and the real estate agency concurrently, which was uh, well the only people in the market that were doing it to a high level. Yeah, I was just about to ask you about that because White Fox is now sales, property management, advocacy, and obviously the marketing agency. And, you know, like I remember when we talked to Josh from Hive in Canberra, he was on our cover a couple of years ago, he mentioned that you were quite instrumental in 
in their branding. Why include these in White Fox? I mean, it seems to be that it's pretty successful as a real estate core business. Like, what made you include all of this other stuff as well? Look, I think it was more so my creativity. I mean, I studied marketing and accounting at uni, so I love business, but I also love exploring ideas and being quite creative. And White Fox is creative is something that it's a daily thing. But I was able to brand, um, sort of broaden my network through helping other people with their companies. Now, you speak to an agent and there's a great feeling when you represent somebody's home or you help somebody buy their home, but that's also something that can last, you know, three to four weeks. When you're helping someone with their business, that's something that lasts years and years and years and years and years and it helps change the course of their entire journey. So now that White Fox is getting to the point of real estate where it's really starting to grow, we're going global, we're opening in New Zealand next week, I've had to assess where my time is better spent and that's where I've just recently sold out of White Fox marketing, obviously still using them for a lot of the work that we do, but the focus is solely on that advocacy arm and that real estate arm, which we want to take around Australia and we really want to bring this brand and successfully launch into the New Zealand marketplace as well, which for us is a huge opportunity to get back over there, which is where myself and our CFO studied, where we first met. Yeah, amazing. I want to get on to New Zealand at the moment because we do love our New Zealand readers and I've got a couple of questions for you on that. But you mentioned Gavin a couple of answers ago. You know, he's been a great friend to Elite Agent over the years. And I remember reading a Sydney Morning Herald story about you and Gavin being like a new breed of like fashion influencer selling style almost, like selling houses and style. If I was starting in real estate agent today, how important is it or what would you advise me on building a brand on social media? Well, look, before I answer that, in terms of going back to when we actually started, I mean, I had hand-me-down suits, I had ties from Bali, I had shoes that I bought for 80 bucks and I was driving around in a Holden Nova, which is a fake Toyota Corolla. And I'd park around the corner and I'd go into these listings and, you know, I'd try and get myself in the zone of being someone that should be listened to in terms of running their campaigns. But I started at the bottom. I was selling studio apartments in Grey Street, St Kilda, trying to move, you know, the street workers out of the way, the, the working girls out of the way to make sure that, you know, I could get the boards out and the flags out. So when you think about where we are now, I wish that social was bigger back when we started so that people could see the hustle. I mean, Gavin joined an office which would have had 50, 60 people in Double Bay and there's no handouts. It's he outworked his colleagues to build a profile. I outworked my competitors to build a name. And I think for anyone that's starting, I think it's very foolish of them to look at my Instagram or look at Gavin's or look at Matt Steinway's or look at anyone that's doing well in the industry and expect to be there after one year, after two years, even after five years, right, it's still incredible if you're able to crack that code. But at the end of the day, there's only so much that you can force to bring sooner, but people's lives are buying and selling real estate and that has a cycle of every four to seven years. So I, I was an unknown name in real estate still after 10 years of working seven days a week, unknown. So. In terms of building a brand, it's 
just do the freaking work. List, sell, call, follow up, drop, network. Do what you need to do as an agent to understand the craft. Build your skills up in terms of psychology and reading the play and understanding personality types and structures. You know, understand what it is that you're bringing to the table. So get to know who you are, what's your worth, and then overlap your social media. But your social media needs to be engaging, it needs to be relevant, it needs to be organic, it needs to be who you are. It's got to be true. So you need to really self-reflect and go, well, what would people want to see? They're not just following some agent for the sake of it. They're following that agent because they're seeing traits in that agent that make them feel good about either themselves or they see similarities in you, whether that be, you know, you're a hard worker, you're a family guy, you like your cars, you do funny little cooking videos on the side. I don't know what it is, but it's social media because it's meant to be social. It's not LinkedIn. LinkedIn's LinkedIn. Facebook and Insta is Facebook and Insta. And you really need to understand the differences between the two. But to answer the question in a, in a summarized fashion, if you're a young agent that's getting into the industry, don't chase the social media fame. Chase becoming an expert in the deal. And as you're doing that, try and capture the growth in your own success and share that and create your story. Yeah. It's really interesting. Nobody really wants to post on social media the tough times, right? You know, like I can count on one hand the agents that I see that post the tough times, whereas perfection can be so hard to connect with, like on the outside, can't it? Absolutely. It's one of those things. Everyone's trying to keep up with one another, and that's fine, but not at the peril of your own sanity. Yeah. You know, I've overshared. To a degree, I put a lot up of my family and my children and, and the inner workings and I've probably cost the business money along the way because I have been so open. But it's also something that I've thoroughly enjoyed, particularly in COVID. It was almost like my therapy to overshare. And it's funny, we're, you know, we're talking about social because on New Year's Eve, I actually deleted all of my personal social when it was at the highest engagement that it had been in my career. Some weeks I was having engagements of upwards of half a million engagements on my personal page. But at some point in time, you need a shift to here. And for me, becoming the CEO of the larger organisation, I think it was the right time for me to step back from the personal social and really get in behind the company and the other team members. Yeah, okay. So you don't have a personal social on Instagram anymore? Not since New Year's Eve. Gosh, that's a hard thing to sort of press delete on that many followers. And that's the thing, I mean, it got a lot of people talking, you know, what's happening with Marty, where's he going, what's he doing, is he okay? I've had people come to me in the street go, are you all right? Witness protection. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But the thing is, when you share to the point in which I shared, I mean, some days I would do 150 stories in a day. And coming off the tools, like when I was listing and selling daily, I'd always have these new experiences or ideas or I'd actually be able to share and give value to an agent. Whereas... I lost my identity a little bit last year because of the transition. When you're listing and selling for so long and then all of a sudden you stop when you're at the top of your game to build a bigger dream and a bigger business, you know, it takes a while to adjust. And my adjusting was understanding what was I putting out to people. And upon reflection, it was a lot of personal stuff and not enough business. So I thought, well, what a great time to now let the great people of White Fox share their stories and grow their brands with me sitting in the background coaching them from behind the scenes. 
Yeah, what an amazing opportunity for them. Very risky, but again, that's what you know building a business is all about. There is no iron team, and ultimately, the key is to eliminate that key person risk. And I was that key person. Well, they say um, you know a good attraction strategy for younger team members these days is to incubate influence, like show the younger generation how they can become influencers like yourself. So, yeah, and look, we've done that really well. I mean, Lana Samuels is really starting to gain an incredible profile as a strong, respected, successful woman in real estate. You know, she's been with me for four years. It's not a long time. Two years as my EA, two years selling. And that's just a beautiful success story. If you follow a particular process and you're very true with your followers, it's incredibly inspirational for people. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's have a quick chat about New Zealand. What's happening over there? Okay, so New Zealand, first of all, what a beautiful country. Yeah. Amazing affiliation with Australia, similar time zone, easy to get to and from, fly straight into Queensland, fly straight back out. But yep. more the sentimental factors in the fact that, you know, I studied there, I moved there when I was 16 with my mum and my brother. I met one of my best friends who's now our CFO at my first day at school. You know, I saw him getting punched up by someone, so I went in and I rescued him. It was actually the other way around. <laughs> and we just always spoke about getting the business to a point where it could go global. And we found that a lot of our followers, a lot of the people that were asking us to help them with their marketing were based in New Zealand. And the opportunity for us to open in New Zealand was there. You know, for a national boutique brand to come in that was quite nimble and to bring something that the consumers hadn't really seen yet, which was our flair, our ability to do social media, the way in which we do it, to shoot properties in the luxury market, the way in which we do it. The whole tone of White Fox is something that we knew would appeal to the Kiwis. And, yeah, that kicks off next week for our opening in Queenstown. Well, was, oh, Queenstown, what an amazing place. So I was going to say Auckland has had it tough at the moment and I was going to ask you whether that had impacted, you know, with, you know, some of the floods and things like that that have happened in Auckland, like they've taken a bit of a back at the moment. But Queenstown, sorry, is okay. Yeah, look, Queenstown's the only city in New Zealand that didn't have a massive negative downturn in prices over the past six to nine months. And I think that's reflective of who is in Queenstown. You know, it's something absurd, you know, 60 to 70% of the people that own property there aren't even based there. And those parties predominantly being Australians, Aucklanders and people from Christchurch and Dunedin. It fits our brand quite well. Our digital strategy supports the move into Queenstown and also our luxury presence in the Melbourne market and particularly for Australians that are seeing us in Queenstown, we know that we will be a massive conduit to a lot of deals between Australians and people that own properties in Queenstown. Yeah. With our second office in Auckland opening up, later in the year, again, it's that affiliation with Queenstown. So we want to be at the bottom of the South Island, we want to be at the top of the North Island and for the years that follow, fill the gaps. And for us, it's all about our people. You know, we're a small company but we're a powerful company. We're an influencer within the industry because we continually challenge that status quo. We hire a lot of people that have never been in real estate. You know, we hire people that have been in real estate for a long time and we've got a great mix of people that we don't look for the same people. We don't look for a bunch of Marty Foxes. We look for people that know who they are 
that want to operate in their own skin with our brand, our smarts from a marketing perspective behind them. Yeah, amazing. So speaking of being an influencer, I have to ask you about the block. So we're big fans of the block, obviously, at Elite Agent, Kylie in particular. She's a bit of a, what do they call them, a blockhead. She loves it. So I have to ask you, what's it like being on the show? She's a fangirl. <laughs> she is. Yeah, but the block's an amazing show. I mean, it's part of the Australian dream, buying, renovating, selling, doing it on national television and the emotions involved in it. It's just engaging. And every year, you know, it's a little bit different. It's a great blend of drama, education, you know, the suspense of the auction day. And there's a lot of variables that are out of everyone's control. So I think that's where I think the block really lures in people in the fact that it really is just a bunch of Aussies getting together that are trying to renovate and sell for as much money as possible. And that auction day is totally unscripted. It's an environment where you walk out and you've got the lights on you, you've got the crowd, and it is a real-life option just with cameras there and it's happening live. It's, it's daunting, but I think you're confident in your ability that you know you can handle any curveball. It's a great experience. So for any agents out there, if the opportunity does come up, always grab it with both hands because some of my great memories are from working on the block. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, speaking of TV shows, I've heard some rumours and I don't know if you can confirm or deny them, but we've been hearing rumours of a Lux Listings Melbourne sort of swirling around the airwaves. you know anything about that? No, I don't. No. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, that is a watch this space then, Sam. Well, I mean, you see the success of what's happened in Sydney and, you know, I'm sure that they want to take that success around the country and find the right people. I mean, what's amazing with Sydney is you've just got some great personalities. I mean. You look at the crew and it's pretty amazing. I mean, they're engaging, they're funny, they're great at what they do, successful. And visually, Sydney's just absolutely beautiful on the screen. So I think it's been an incredible postcard advertisement for people around the world to look at what we're doing down here in Australia. Yeah, it's a pretty nice show to watch for sure. I mean, I've enjoyed all three seasons of it, so I'd definitely embrace the Melbourne version. And I believe that New Zealand has its own thing as well. So, you know, mm-hmm. might we see Rich Listers New Zealand at all? Yeah, I've met a few of the past. Obviously, with our expansion into New Zealand, we've met heaps of people and they've been good. Yeah. One more question for you, actually two more, because there's always like one more. But the main question I have for you is, you know, we did touch on it a little bit when we were talking about younger agents and, you know, them wanting to sort of come up through the ranks quickly. And we do know that this industry, particularly in the cycle that we're going through now, is an industry of high churn, you know, with people coming and going and that sort of thing. What solutions do you see to keep good people in the industry for longer? So I believe that a new agent coming in right now needs to be part of a very busy office. They need to get exposed to a lot of live dialogue. So it's all good and well to do scripts and dialogue sessions with trainers and so forth, but If you're not seeing that occur in a live environment and you're sitting in a car listening to a great agent list property and close deals, it's very hard to then replicate what you're learning in a training session and to put in a real-life version. You're better to be in the simulation of the moment and align yourself with someone or an office that's doing a lot of transactions. So if I was to start tomorrow, it's the first thing that I do. I wouldn't be going 
into a business that isn't actually doing that. Now, the issue in this market is that all the numbers are down and a lot of those businesses might not be looking to hire you because they're trying to, you know, look after those deals themselves. If you look online on REA, you'll see a lot of directors on properties that a year and a half ago, they would have never put their heads on. And that shows how tight the listings are, right? So it goes back to the basics of the more people you speak to. I saw this thing online the other day with Beyonce saying how she's won 24 Grammys, but the thing is she's also lost 46. She's been the person sitting in the crowd watching somebody else get up and win her Grammy 46 times. So this all goes back to work rate. If you're getting into more doors, you're speaking to more people, and you're genuinely the first in and the last out, like what I was, like what Gavin was, like what Maddie Bankshear would be and so forth, all the greats of real estate, they all outworked everyone, every one of them. And I think that's at the core. And also showing value. If you're a newbie, well, where you can add value is you walk into the office and say, guys, all non-revenue generating tasks, hit me with them. I'm here from 8 and I'm leaving at 8. What do you want me to do? Let me make your life easier. And then all of a sudden, opportunities will start opening up. Hey, do you want to come to this meeting? Hey, do you want to come to this listing? Would you like to watch me do this close? All of a sudden, these trainers that are telling you what to say, you're getting these real-life environments where these people are inviting you in because they respect you for your work ethic. So early on, that is the only thing that you can trade as a new agent because you don't know anything. You trade your work ethic for opportunity. And then as you get better, you then open up other avenues of growth. Yeah, that's great advice. All right, Marty. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you and catching up with you and congratulations on all of your success. And I hope that Queenstown is amazing for you. Thank you. If there was one piece of advice that you'd like to leave everyone with or one thing that you'd like them to remember from this chat, what would it be? From this chat, I think the biggest takeaway is that under no circumstances is success overnight and you need to be prepared to wait. You need to be prepared to wait and let your work do the talking. It's as simple as that. If you don't have the capacity to grind and to push, I've had moments where I thought, you know, I've called my mum. I've said, mum, I don't know if I've done the right thing, but it's been four years and I just can't see myself getting to where I need to get to. I've been selling these apartments for four years. I'm not growing. I can't see how am I going to crack the code? How am I going to get there? It's by understanding that you just need to keep working and you need to find the points of difference that can help you elevate. If you're judging success based on the money that you're making, well, you either need to increase volume, right, or the price in which you're selling properties at. It ain't rocket science, is it? It's not rocket science. If you're judging your success on your lifestyle and your happiness, well, then it's work-life balance and you need to find out what that is internally. But if it's solely just GCI, 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 well, the writing's on the wall. Try and sell the most expensive assets, but in order to do that, you need to learn on the cheaper ones and build yourself up. So there's a process. If you don't have a game plan on getting there, you're never going to get there. It's just not going to happen. So you need to reflect on where you are, what you are, and how you're going about doing it. And understand that no matter which path you go down, if you don't have the patience to do it, you're going to be disappointed. That is very good and very real advice. So Marty Fox, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate podcast. With thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joineliteagent.com. 